Welcome, everyone, to another wonderful podcast of Metallurgy. This is Matt. This is Dino. This is Martin. I'm trying to forget. I forget your name is Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, we're doing a, a part two. Let me cast. Part two. Yeah. Of Motorhead. That's right, man. We're here to fuck shit up. We Shut play, up! We play rock and roll! We play rock and roll! <laughs> uh, yeah, so this one, we basically got up to Lemmy leaving Hawkwind on the previous episode. Fuck Hawkwind! And so this one's kind of... <laughs> Some people are really going to take issue with that. <laughs> no, I know, but... They're... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a lot joking. of people really like that band. <laughs> no, I know, I'm totally joking. Uh, yeah, huh? The only reason why is, come on. Let's be real. The reason why Lemmy was kicked out was because he didn't do the designer drugs. Yeah, he didn't do the right drugs. So, yeah, he was unpopular and they kicked him out. Yeah. So, that's why I say, fuck it. They wanted to drop acid. He wanted to do speed. So. <laughs> Which is weird because he has some. He has a lot of animosity to people who do heroin. Right. So, <laughs> Was it animosity or was it just sort of like... Well, I, I think he knew that how... Yeah. Bad it fucked people up. So I, I don't think animosity is the right word. I think it was just he knew that it was bad. And yeah. people who did it fucked their lives up. So Yeah, I'm really happy he never did heroin. Um I'm pretty sure that would have been the end of him if he did heroin. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I especially with the cocktail the drug cocktail he was already sort of doing. Yep. I think heroin would have really tipped him over the edge. <clears throat> yeah. So he was kicked out of Hawking. Hawkwind, sorry. Hawken? I was thinking of the video that, game. That, 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 that MMO? <laughs> yeah. No, it's is a, it, isn't is there it, also like a isn't progressive it, isn't metal? Isn't it an MMO? Hawkwind Hawk, is a, is it like a mech combat game. Oh, it's not an MMO? I don't, I don't, dude, I don't, I haven't played it. Okay. Anyway, side tangent. What were we saying, Dino? There's a, a progressive band called, I think it's Hacken. Hacken, yeah. Hacken. So that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. H-A-K-E-N? Yeah. Okay, so he 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 is uh, asked to leave Hawkwind because they're so amazing. Um, <laughs> and then Lemmy formed a new band called Bastard, which is that's a better name. Yeah, but let's be real. But that name didn't end up sticking. Yeah, so he formed it with uh, Larry Wall. What is it, Wallace mm-hmm. and drummer Lucas Fox? Who Lucas Fox was in the band UFO, yes. which is a fucking awesome band. Yeah, yeah. And those were both recommendations of a of a buddy of uh, Lemmy's, uh, Mick Farron. He's from the Deviants, and he actually had some help. He helped uh, Megadeth out later in their career with a few songs, I think. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's cool. And so at this time, the manager that they had, I I don't know his name, Doug Smith. Doug Smith. Yeah. Uh, formed him that, hey, dude, the name Bastard would not get any play on the top of Pops. Yeah, and it wouldn't get him, like, uh, high billboard numbers. Yeah. So, so, later in 75, let me change the band's name to Motehead. Yeah, that's right, because it was American for Speed Freak. Yeah. And that describes him fairly accurately. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's 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 kind of ironic, too, because he was just let go of Hawkwind and the title of the last song he had written for Hawkwind was Motorhead. Yeah. And, and it had a violin solo in it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was also ironic because, and a fitting choice because, uh, uh, the newly formed Motorhead signed to United, uh, United artists, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By Andrew, uh, louder. Is that it? Uh, I'm not aware who the signing. Uh, okay. Person I, th- I think I, out of my research, I think it was Andrew louder. And, um, it was the same label Hawkwind was signed to at the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's like, yeah, you can kick me out, but I'm going to just practically be in the similar state yeah, we're, as you we're, are. We're going to be hanging yeah, out. We'll be hanging out with you. I'll see you. I'll yeah. see you at the studio. I did, I did, did they play together? They did later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Lemmy said that the band, well, Motorhead was basically a blues band that played really fast. Mm-hmm. Which... I mean, that's a good summation, I think, in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is a lot. So there's a kind of a split in the metal community over like who really got things going, whether it was Black Sabbath or whether it was Motorhead, because Motorhead preceded 
um, Black Sabbath. But Lemmy always kind of gave Sabbath the credit mm-hmm. because he always kind of referred to the early Motorhead stuff as like a more of a blues band yeah. than anything else. Yeah, Lemmy never really had a, like, he never felt like the that Motorhead was a metal band ever. Yeah, it was kind of the, although he does sort of embrace it, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. He, but I don't know if he considered it. Himself. Yeah, he still he calls it that every now and again yeah. reading through the autobiography oh he does yeah because he says like filthy like when phil leaves the band he's like he wanted to be a proper musician and didn't consider metal uh you know like real music or whatever mm, yeah. we'll get to that later but yeah. he he mentions that you know he so he calls motorhead metal essentially yeah, he he'll do it every now and then. I can't tell whether that was just like because other people call it that though, or whether it's because that's how he felt about yeah. it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, what was really interesting is that they were really marketing Motorhead as like these like dirty uh, renegade kind of badasses. Yeah. Uh, so there were advertisements going around, like in sounds magazine at the time, it'll say it was, a it, it'll be the dirtiest rock and roll band in the world. And if we move next door, your lawn would die. Yeah. And it, I also read that he wanted to be like an American, a band similar, but it's called MC five. I don't, I haven't heard, listened to them, but I read that he kind of got like, I want to be like those guys. It's like a, a proto punk. I, I don't proto rock. I don't know what that means, but, um, like the the almost there but not quite. I I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Protege. Um, and of course, and I feel like this is probably with a lot of bands that no one wanted to sing. Yeah. <laughs> so Lemmy got stuck with vocals, which I think. Well, let's yeah. be real. It's because the bass guitar is the easiest instrument to play. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think Lemmy thought it was surprising because most guitarists want to be like, you know, superstars or whatever. Yeah. And usually they get that role when they're like singing and playing guitar. Right. right. But, so Yeah, but Eddie n- never felt comfortable singing. Yeah. Eddie, in, apparently Eddie had a good voice and he did sing on a couple things and I never, I never really listened to him, but. Yeah, but they yeah. had to like really put him up to it, right? In the studio. Yeah. But yeah, that was but the yeah, Larry Larry Wallace, the first guitarist didn't want to sing. No. So um but yeah, so their first show was on uh, July 20th, 1975 at the Roundhouse. Um and just to give some perspective, Lemmy was kicked out of Hawkwind in May. So it's like a it's a really really quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah. Two months. Yeah. And they had already had basically almost like a whole album written at that point too. So he'd gotten the band together and had like a lot of material developed before that show. Yeah, it wasn't recorded yet, but it was it was they, they got they had songs like fleshed out. Yeah, they had they had some material kind of done. Um so Lemmy said that they, they weren't very good. <laughs> um and at the time he was wearing like white boots, he had like a bullet belt, um which he basically kept yeah. throughout yeah. his whole career. Motorhead. <laughs> yeah, because and I I wondered about because he said that fans started to kind of showing up like him. So I wondered like if that was part of it. Like he saw that it was catching on, so he just kept it going. Yeah, or, I um, think so. Yeah, although he did he did indicate that that he always liked that sort of stuff too. Um, yeah, right, like the cowboy yeah. hats and the. But it also just showed how inspirational. They could be, I guess, but also maybe music at the time too. Yeah, you know? you know, and I wonder, was he the first person to wear like the, um, like a bullet strap like that? I'm not. I don't yeah. know. I mean, as far as I know, he. I think he was the first one to do it, and there. Are, so he basically inspired like metal fashion, like all the way back then, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Because black cool. metal bands ended up. Doing wearing that. Like oh yeah, they latched onto that pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and so a little fun fact: Motorhead has had this had the same sound guy since 1977, um, and it was something that Lemmy was really uh, proud of was the fact that he has a really loyal road crew, and in some cases, like that sound guy, I think had the opportunity, or he was working with um, Black Sabbath when yeah. when they were first introduced. And while he was on tour with with Sabbath, 
he actually dedicated uh, more of his time to working with Motorhead and eventually stepped away from working with Black Sabbath, even though I think he was actually paid less money with Motorhead. Yeah. I think it was more about like he just enjoyed being around those guys more. Yeah, and I think Black Sabbath was way bigger at the time too, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they, uh, they went into the studio um, with Dave Edmonds as a producer. Uh, Lemmy always found him to be a hero of his. But then middle of tracking, they yeah. basically, uh, he left to do Swan Song for Led Zeppelin. Um, and he and was replaced by... Fritz Fryer. Yeah. Uh, which, I, I did they end up redoing all the tracks after that? Um, or did they keep those? And so. I don't, I feel like they wouldn't do that. I don't think they did. I, I think that's kind of what, what led to the ultimate decision of releasing that. Uh, what is it? Would, would it be an EP LP? Whatever. Yeah. On parole. Yeah. On yeah. the name of it. Yeah. Um, I think EP is shorter and LP is longer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it still doesn't make sense to me, but okay. no, I'll never understand it. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were in the studio between like September, December '75, recording, and uh, I guess uh, Lucas Fox was proved to be unreliable and wasn't that committed and left the band. It's fun in uh, the autobiography. Lemmy says that he wanted to keep up with Lemmy's speed habit. Yeah. So, <laughs> like drug speed. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he just like was always trying to just do crazy amounts and then would you know be passed out at uh the console or something with yeah. just drinks and cigarettes and all sorts of shit around him but yeah so <sighs> i think that's that's probably why he became unreliable was because of that yeah he was trying too hard to fit in maybe yeah or uh, got too addicted one of the two maybe yeah. both yeah so uh, Fox left and he was replaced by drummer Phil Filthy Animal Taylor, who was actually a casual acquaintance of Lemmy's. But um, out of the, uh, like the research I've done, it was more, it was like a friend of Lemmy's from the drug scene and they knew each other from the Hells Angels house that uh, they, I guess they both lived at. Is this where like motorcycle Irene comes up? I, I didn't hear anything about her. Okay. Possible. Because she comes up a lot in the book, and I keep like, where the fuck did she come from again? Because she's mentioned a handful of times. Yeah, I, I I, have not... And I think... Ran across her. Her and Filthy ended up doing stuff, and that's how we got the name, right? Yeah, <laughs> apparently is. Well, you know, wasn't she a receptionist or something at the studio? I don't know. I think that she was. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, Filthy Animal, he... From an interview, he I think he got his name from being a sexual deviant or something like yeah. that. Like he was just crazy, either in bed or, or yeah, there was crazy like yeah with motorcycle Irene. That's yeah. why she yeah. was. Let, let me actually try to give him a different nickname, but but she's the one who ended up giving him the nickname. Yeah, that stuck. Yeah, because um, his first nickname was dangerous. Yeah, that's right? what it was. Yeah, he's dangerous. Let me wanted to call him Dangerous Phil or something like that, and then the yeah. Healthy Phil worked out better. Healthy yeah. Phil is is inherently, I think, a better yeah better name. yeah. But uh, another reason why Filthy uh, Phil was around and was it Filthy Phil or Filthy Animal? Filthy Animal. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Filthy yeah. Animal. Filthy um, Phil's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's Filthy Phil. My um, dad. So yeah. Uh, the one of the reasons why they chose him to play Motorhead because he had a car and they could drive them back and forth to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like like when we were doing the death metal stuff, that was kind of a common theme too. Yeah. Like, dude, he had a like a working set and a vehicle. Right, but, you're in, dude. But, <laughs> Come but, on, let's but, do it. But during the whole time, like he kind of sensed that Lucas Fox wasn't like kind of fitting in. Mm-hmm. So, and he kept like saying like, dude, let me play, let me play, let me play. And then he quit and it just, all that kind of fell in place for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Filthy Animal overdubbed all of Fox's tracks in January and February mm-hmm. of 76. Yeah. And Lemmy said that it was really impressive the way that Phil was able to do that. Um, 
he didn't mention it in his biography, but it was so early on that I wonder whether they had metronomes in use. Like he may have had to like kind of learn the way that the tracks were going to speed up and slow down as they went a little bit. Yeah. Um, So that is really impressive when you think about it. Yeah. Um, Lemmy had a, a interesting story regarding Lucas Fox and his drug habit and saying that Lemmy did that like Keith Richards procedure where they like replace his blood or well, he was he, going to. Yeah. And then the doctor tested his blood and said it was too toxic and that if Lemmy gave his blood to just an average person who wasn't <laughs> on speed, it would kill them. <laughs> wow. And that Lemmy couldn't get like a hundred percent pure blood because it would kill Lemmy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because his body going to shock going, what is this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And I guess he was put on a, like a, a list of people who are ineligible donors. Yeah. So if he <laughs> are wanted, you serious? Yeah. So if I he, didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. So if he wanted to donate, he couldn't. Wow. Yeah. So funny, dude. Dude, that's fucked. I mean, actually, it's really not funny. No, it's not. Because, <laughs> like, what if you really got into a situation where you needed blood? Yeah, I mean, if you got in a car accident or something, well, I mean, we'll try. <laughs> he just goes into fucking convulsions on the table. Oh, Give, him yeah, <laughs> Give him speed. Give him a hit, man. Give him a This blood needs to be thir- one-third speed. Before <laughs> we need a 30% speed <laughs> induction. That'd be actually funny if they actually had, like put the inside the bag. Oh man! Just spurting some of that shit oh, in there. Oh man! <laughs> First time dro- uh, doctors became drug oh, dealers. But the blood would be all cold and shit, right? So it would just coagulate <laughs> on top. <laughs> he just get these like these clumps of speed running through his heart. Oh god! Oh my oh. god! Okay, that's bad. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. So later that year, in February, March uh, 76, uh, they were the band auditioned for another guitarist because I don't know if somebody said that they need double guitars, I think. That, that's, what, that's what I got. Yeah, I think that they tried, but um, it, didn't, it, it didn't work out very well, so they ended up going on as a three-piece. Right, and that's because... And then, uh, so they, they actually interviewed Eddie Clark... Or auditioned, not interviewed. Um, Fast Eddie Clark. And it was a mutual acquaintance of uh, Phil's. Okay. Um, And apparently, uh, Lemmy showed up early to his apartment one morning after the audition. And he just shows up like super early in the morning uh, in his leather attire and and bullet belt and just said, you got the job and, and walked away. That was, there was no hello, goodbye, just, that was it. I've been up for three days, you got yeah. the job. So then, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go sleep. Mulling over this for three days. Yeah. Uh, Larry w- Wallace uh, left shortly after, um, and I don't, I, I didn't really get why. So I, from my understanding, Larry's the one that wanted, like, really wanted yeah. the other guitarist. Okay. So they were rehearsing. Eddie came over. They were playing, um, like, I, I think at least him and Lemmy. Maybe Phil was there. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. And then Larry, Larry shows up, just fucking turns up his amp, blat, just drowns everyone out, and then um, turns it off. And basically after that rehearsal, Larry quit. Huh. So I'm not sure if he felt threatened, which is weird because he's the one that wanted the other guitar player. Yeah, maybe Fascinating might have been just better. Too good? Yeah, too good. He was really good. His riffs are are so simple, but so catchy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're like, they're so deceptive. Um, Yeah, so Larry Wallace left and continued with uh, his other band, Pink Fairies. Um, Lemmy said that Phil and Eddie, um, were like friends and like brothers, but they also fought like brothers. Yes. So they'd be in the van. (laughs) I forgot about this dude. Driving to a gig and they would just be punching each other in the back seat. And so they'd show up and like fucking fast Eddie has a broken hand (laughs) and like filthy has a black eye. Yeah. 
and that was that was just normal. Yeah, and he'd have to like set them straight before the gig. Like, we're here. We need to play now. And then they just would be like, okay, we're done fighting. And then they'd go yeah. on stage and play. And yeah. And then they get off stage and start beating the shit out of each other again. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um. So yeah. So that you got uh, filthy animal. You have Fast Eddie Clark and Lemmy, and that is the lineup that is the classic, which is, which is considered the classic Motorhead lineup yeah. for seven years. Yeah, dude, I really like that lineup a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. Yeah, dude. Although I will say, um, I like those those early albums. Those are the ones I usually end up going back to. But um, the very last album that Motorhead did um, was Bad Magic, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that album's fucking awesome. I really enjoy that one. Yeah. Um, you know, and also like Iron Fist and stuff. But um, yeah, just as a digression. Yeah. Um, one other thing like that. So after the record label heard their material, they were dissatisfied with uh, on parole. Bronze. Uh, what? No, no, not an artist. artist. Oh, my bad. Um, and it's question. They they highly questioned its commercial viability and refused to release it. And what was interesting is the interviews that I was reading. Um, they were just describing. Uh, I think. I don't know who it was, but um, they were just totally describing how they were like stringing them along, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna release it, we're gonna release it," and mm-hmm. like, "Oh yeah, you'll get your money," you know. But they just never did. So the I, I guess at this point they're kind of feeling defeated, and they wanted to do a like a farewell farewell uh, show at the Marquee Club. Yeah, yeah, which I think was mainly Eddie and Phil. Yeah. We're giving up because I mean I feel like Le- this is Lemmy's lifestyle. Like yeah. he he can fucking live on couches for the rest of his life and probably be happy. Yeah, you know. So you just he- give him a couch in a teenager's parents' house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, he's just giving me a drive to work uh, to school tomorrow. So anyway, uh, I got a quote. Clark uh, recalls in the documentary, um, uh, what is it? The gl- the guts and glory. Uh, he said it was going to be our farewell farewell gig, and I said, "Let's get a mobile down there and at least record the fucking year and a half we've been together, and put something on the fucking tape, you know." So the band, so the band asked um, Ted Carroll, yeah, to uh, to bring uh, a uh, a mobile recorder to the show, but I guess it was too expensive. It was like five hundred quid to doing the recording, and Carroll offered the band said. I, you know, I'm not going to do that. How about uh, two days at in the studio to record? And um, and so... They did a whole album in that. Yeah, days. they did. In two and, days. And it was only supposed to be a, a like a single. Yeah, yeah. and so, so um, they went in to record a single with producer John Speedy Keen. And his name Speedy is for, I guess, for a reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They never said if it was for drugs or I not. I think he was I, a speed freak. I dude. think, yeah, was, I mean, I think he been. was. And so um, I got a quote that said, uh, that was Friday night. We had um, all Saturday and Sunday. We've been playing those these songs for a year, so we thought, fuck it, we can do an album. In a few hours, we had all the backing tracks down, put the vocals down, a bit more speed, put more guitars on, a few more beers. We were fucking steaming. Come Saturday night, we're nearly finished. And then that's when the guy shows up and goes, what? <laughs> yeah, they did 11 tracks. Yeah. In two, in two days. days. Didn't fucking sleep because they're on speed. Yeah, yeah. they were all up for, two, for 48 <laughs> hours. So, and then at that time, he was like, dude, I'm fucking impressed. So he's like, I'm going to just pay for more time in the studio. And they completed an album. Yeah, because they did in the two days, they did everything besides the vocals. Yes. And Ted, yeah, Ted Carroll shows up and like Lemmy was saying, like he was like in the back of the studio, kind of like dancing along, like bobbing along. <laughs> it's like, fuck yeah, you know, this is good. Yeah, so. he's definitely on shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, the, the, uh, the album that they, I guess they eventually released it, was that Motorhead that they eventually released? Was that the Motorhead album? I think so. Yeah, it was. Um and that was album actually did well enough to ensure the band would remain together, which is a good thing. Yeah. Ted Carroll saved the band. Yep. Thank God. Um, yeah. So there's a little quip here where 
Lemmy actually met Sid Vicious before he was a member of the Sex Pistols. And I guess he gave him a bass lesson. And after like three days or so, he told Sid, you can't play bass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should just give up. I think he told him. Yeah, right? which is weird. This is Sid fucking Vicious. Yeah, it's yeah. Sid Vicious. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so so a couple months later, he came back to Lemmy and he's like, I'm the bass player in the Pistols. <laughs> And let me responded, you can't play bass, Sid. So, yeah, but I guess it doesn't, it, let me made some sort of quip about how, like, I guess all you need to do is, like, just, like, you know, play that root note. But he also, did he say that, like, it's not even Sid on the album, though? I think if it's anything more difficult than, like, a bum, 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 bum sort of thing, it was the guitar players that yeah, played it. Like, Sid was, Sid just had, like, the right look or something, right? Yeah, Sid out out what is it out pistoled the sex pistols or something like that like he he made i don't know everyone remembers sid vicious i think from that band yeah yeah definitely so he he had the right image he had the right um right sales pitch or whatever i just love that lemmy was like you can't play bass uh one thing about the motorhead album when they were recording it uh, i got another quote where lemmy recalls that the producer speedy keen and uh, engineer John Burns were speeding out of their heads because they couldn't afford to go to sleep. Uh, they didn't have time. They wanted to make an album as much as we did. They mixed 24 versions of Motorhead. <laughs> <laughs> and he, oh, it's hilarious as he goes, they asked him which one he liked. And he said, he just picked the first one because he couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. Between the yeah. And so, and so at, so at the time, again, Lemmy's kind of in an enigma because you know, he, his vocal and bass style is no one has really ever, that hasn't really been around. And so, uh, Eddie Clark states that Lemmy's bass style, uh, which featured maximum mid range on his Marshall amps with the bass and treble nearly turned off. And that today, or when even today, when he was still alive, uh, that was the way he played. And it's, it's so funny because the bass, that's opposite of what a guitarist would do, where they would scoop the mids. Yeah. But the guitar is a mid-range instrument. <laughs> but I guess Lemmy did it because he, he used to play guitar. So yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, and after they recorded the album, they went on tour with Hawkwind. Yep. In 77. And they had a, a story of Phil breaking his hand and basically having to duct tape uh, a drumstick to it yeah because he couldn't hold it <laughs> so he just fucking played with the taped on drumstick and i guess there was no animosity towards hawkwind during that tour no tour so yeah um but then a couple months later phil broke his wrist probably punching eddie in the face or something like that and so they had to cancel the tour um or at least cancel their portion and then they were off stage, so they yeah they toured with Hawkwind in June. They were off stage until November, and they actually uh, <laughs> that's a good drawing. <laughs> um, they actually got a little uh, uh, the release for Motorhead was a little unfavorable, and they won a poll for best horse band in the world by a ma- music magazine. Was it for that? I always thought it was after that's, their first gig. Not it. It could have been their first gig. But um, I it, was, uh, it, I, it it wasn't clear for me. I think it me. was the album. I thought it was the album. I think it's the album. Because the, the album was <laughs> released in August 2021 20, of 77. Mm-hmm. Did we talk about how um, Roger Bolton from Bronze got them onto Top of the Pops? No. No, but that's in Overkill, isn't it? When, I mean, when they start in the Overkill era? I think uh, it was before then. Was it? It was probably all-encompassing. Yeah. I think it was while they were on um, Bronze altogether. They were on top of the Pops five times. And um, that was actually when they got their their first hit. Um, and I guess being on top of the Pops was really helpful in terms of getting them exposure. I think uh, Roger Bolton actually had like some friends that worked on top of the pops and so that was how he was able to sort of network and get them on so many so many times well he used to yeah he used to work for bbc so. oh that's how he did it yeah okay um yeah so uh that was really helpful in terms of getting the exposure that they needed and getting some momentum behind them um and that actually ended up leading to them 
playing the um, the Hammersmith Odeon, um, and they had like three thousand fans packed in that thing, and that was one of their first shows, correct? Yeah, it was not the first show, but it was like but, one of the first yeah, yeah big shows that they ever did. Yeah, um, and that was definitely on the first album, Motorhead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, so. and that was great because they were talking about how, you know, just six months, eight months previous when they were having all this trouble really getting going, they like, you know, they couldn't pack a house. And then now all of a sudden the album's out, they're getting some exposure and they're, you know, packing the Hammersmith Odeon. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, it's just a little publicity, man. Yeah. That's all you need. With that, they really started getting going and, um, Fast Eddie and Filthy Animal started you know, buying into being in a band a little bit more and decided to stick around. Yeah. yeah. So they, they were signed to Bronze Record in 78. Um, and Bronze Record said, give us some singles. So that's when they uh, released Louie Louie. <laughs> yeah, which was uh, Phil's idea. I yeah, Was it? I, yeah. I, okay, I didn't get that. Um, and uh, yeah, cause- Tear You Down was issued later oh i love terry down dude yeah so um uh gary braun of bronze records after he heard louie louie um he said he, this is what he said quote uh the first time i heard motorhead was when i was listening to a single that i put out without hearing which was louie louie and when i heard it i was absolutely horrified i thought it was the worst record i've ever heard so i was in a bit of a shock the bigger shock was I had to put that record out that I thought was terrible. Yet it went straight into the charts at number 72. So that's so interesting. I totally didn't get that perspective from the biography. Yeah. Uh, from, from bronze. So that's so interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, I guess it's just a different, different perspective. Cause that was on uh, I think I got that from classic albums. That's yeah, awesome. For, yeah. Cause from Lemmy's perspective was it, like they put out that single and then bronze was like, okay, let's do a full album. Yeah. yeah. No, because it, there was, everybody was shocked. Like, Whoa, okay. Let's give him a, a, a record deal. Like a, a full record. See, that's the cool thing about record labels back then is a lot of record labels back then would take more chances like that. Right. Um, which is actually something, this is a little off topic, but like Frank Zappa says is like really what the record industry lacks today, which I think is true. Yeah. So people really don't want to take chances anymore. Unless you're like a small indie label, but then you're not getting any exposure. So anyways, yeah. again, another digression. Yeah, so that I guess that got them to record Overkill. Yeah, and the, the cool thing was is that uh they you know the kind of the Motorhead had a lot of like false starts, I guess. And um it was actually the first time where they felt the band felt like, okay, we're finally going to get, you know, notoriety and we're finally going to get like, somebody's going to let us try and do this rather than like, Oh yeah. Here, here's, here's like some cookie crumbles and get in our way. Yeah. Um, so they went back to the studio at roundhouse studios yep. and sound development studios in London, uh, with producer Jimmy Miller. I think he worked with the Rolling Stones in the past. Yeah, apparently that. Which got... is funny. I think later, is it? it uh, no, no, never mind. That that might not be the same guy. But go ahead. Oh, this the, apparently the Stones gave Jimmy Miller his heroin habit. Oh, so it is the same guy. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say something like that, but I'm like, I don't know if I was right on that one. There you go. You were right, man. You gotta trust yourself. So remember the guy uh, Mick Farron I mentioned earlier from the Deviants. Mm-hmm. Uh, he co-wrote Damage Case. It's also a great song. Yeah. Got no time for a damage, damage case. case. And um, in uh, I, you guys might have this because I got this from uh, White Line Free Fever. Uh, Lemmy claims that he wrote the words to Metropolis in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said that they don't make any sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've just seen the movie uh, in the same name in, in the electro- electric cinema. Uh, he claims that he always wanted to Tina Turner to record I'll Be With Your Sister, insisting, I like songs about women. In fact, I've written songs with women. I've been called a sexist by some factions of uh, factions of radical, uh, frigid feminists. 
So it's it's. I think the song is "I'll Be Your Sister." Uh, yes, I'm yeah, sorry. That's okay. <clears throat> you are correct. But anyway, it's just funny how, just by him wanting to have Tina turn around, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, why?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's she is amazing, but we all know. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually, I didn't know this, but uh, filthy, filthy Phil uh, animal. Sorry, filthy animal. You got me fucking saying that now. You just say filthy. Filthy. Uh oh. Or Phil. Phil. We all know. PT. PT. Um, he uses uh, double bass. Yeah, on the on the overkill. Overkill. Song. Yeah. And I guess that that was one of the reasons why I guess it was really catchy. Especially for it being the first song, because everybody's like, "What the fuck is this?" I gotta say, like, for as old as that album is, it's actually pretty impressive. Like that he maintains that little bass throughout the whole the whole track. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to jump back to uh to Jimmy Miller's heroin habit though, because that really caused <laughs> that really caused some problems during the recording of Overkill. Yeah. Um. So. I guess at first he was sort of maintaining, like he would go to the bathroom for long periods of time. I think all three oh, yeah. of us. Oh yeah, yeah. I had notes are, of this, but they got deleted. Yeah, I think all three of us are aware of what of what that's like to be around that kind of a person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mikey, but uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. So eventually, though, it really became uh, like partway through, about halfway through, it became a huge problem. He started showing up like hours and hours late, sometimes five hours late. Um, sometimes he would fall asleep at the mixing desk yeah. itself and then they would like make a loud noise and then he would like startle up and just start like moving the faders. <laughs> like, like, like he, like he had been working the whole time. Oh, like hilarious. he wasn't asleep. Um, <laughs> um, but he started inventing like these really outrageous stories. Um, you know, which, by the way, uh, to any listener who may be concerned that that you have somebody that you know that has a drug habit, like these are telltale signs you should you should take seriously. Um, showing up like extremely late to things with like stories that are too good to be true and don't really quite make sense. Uh, so these stories were like one. Here's one story. He claimed that he had to call a taxi because his car ran out of no. His car had a flat tire or something like that. So he called a taxi and then a taxi picked him up, but that taxi ran out of gas. So then he and a taxi person had to push it to a gas station where he called. Oh, then the gas at the station was gone. There was no gas at the gas station. <laughs> and then he called this another taxi. be the worst luck ever. And then he called another taxi who also ran out of gas. Oh, nice. Right. And then he had to walk through the snow for three hours to get there. Meanwhile, so this is a hilarious thing. So he says all this, right? And the band's like, fine, okay, they're irritated. They just want to get going. But Lemmy said that he was upstairs and he saw the guy rolling around in the snow in order to get his pants wet to facilitate the whole fucking story. He just decided not to say anything. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it was it was really a problem. Um, and uh, they got the record done eventually, but I don't think they ever used Jimmy Miller again after that record. Um. I think they did. I think did they, they did. Use Jimmy? Yeah, yeah, I think they used him on Bomber. Oh, I'm totally I fucking think so. up then. But they had to shit can him. Yeah, shortly after. after. Yeah, he didn't finish Bomber, right? No, yeah. no. Okay, so I am thinking I'm kind of I'm yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because um, I, I had the I thought that was the last one he did from start to finish. Yeah, so uh the one thing I was talking about with uh, the double bass mm-hmm. uh was so uh Phil never really played double bass before. So he was like he he didn't want to be one of those guys that were like, Oh yeah, I'm just, I'm going to have it on stage and I'll never play it. It's just for looks. So he actually went out and got another bass and he was uh, practicing one, one morning in the studio. And then I guess uh, Lemmy and Eddie walked in and were like, no, 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 keep, keep playing that. And then they started writing overkill. Yeah. Which is a, which is a pretty killer. Track. Yeah. So I thought that was a cool little story. <laughs> It's like no, no, keep going. No, keep going now. Wow. So I guess after they finished Overkill, they went on tour with Girl School, which seems to be a theme. Like they, Lemmy, like Matt was saying earlier, works a lot with like all girl bands. Or whatever, but girl school seems to come up quite a lot. Yeah, 
Um, you know, that was something uh, that he's really he was really proud of the amount of attention he gave female musicians, yeah. um, especially like for the era that he grew up and played. It's something he keeps coming back to. He goes, you know, people can say anything they want about me, but I like really went out of my way to try and work with female musicians and, and, and give them exposure also, which I think is actually a really I think it's completely valid. He probably just wanted to sleep with them. Well, I, on some <laughs> level, he does sleep with some of yeah. them. But he doesn't sleep with all of them. Um, there's that Canadian musician he mentions later that I don't think he did anything with her. I think he just really... Wendy she was, Yeah, she was like apparently like super heavy, punky, right? And he just wanted to do something with her. I don't think they did anything romantic. Yeah, I don't think they did either. Yeah. No, yeah. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to, to add that in. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so... I forget where we left off. Hold on. Girl school. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. You know, that's all you. Oh, well, um, yeah, Lemmy said that Kelly Johnson, the main guitar player in that band, was as good as Jeff Beck. But, yeah. you know, never got the attention. Yeah. Um, and then Lemmy also says that. So they, they, they hooked up. They fucked. And Lemmy was like, oh, there was something always like a little bit weird, like about that time. And then he, so after that, Kelly ended up, I think, moving to the States because she fell in love with a, a woman. And then he's like, okay, so basically it was because she was into ladies, but then found out later that she ended up marrying a guy. And so he's like, okay, well, maybe I just, she just wasn't into me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was, she was into, she was into everybody except for Lemmy. <laughs> yeah. Poor uh, Lemmy. Yeah. And he said that he had like the worst a pickup line for her. He asked if she wanted to go watch like some some show about trains or something. No, like no, that. it was the the old gray whistle test. Oh yeah, that's what it which was. is um they played music all the time on yeah. that oh, show. Oh, that's why I'm yeah. thinking of trains. The old gray whistle test is the name. Yeah, of it. Okay. that's the old old school way of Netflix and chill. Yeah, you want to go watch the old gray? What's funny <laughs> is who was it? Somebody else was there. I don't think it was Phil. Um, but it might've been Phil asked the other, the other, um, somebody else in girl school, if she also wanted to watch the old gray whistle test, but I think she said no. <laughs> it was like the drummer or something. It was so funny. Anyways. Yeah. <clears throat> so overkill becomes a huge success. Yes. And because it's fast and it's loud and lawns are dying, apparently all the lawns are yeah. dead. In, in global England. warming's happening and then they all started, because of motorhead yeah and they started getting into some no good stuff like when they were touring around they went to finland and they ended up you know getting all the furniture onto the ceiling somehow <laughs> wait so was that that really was a thing yeah and so then they went to jail for three days and then after that they got deported <laughs> yeah which the pilot i guess came up to them and and like warn them or something as they were he was bringing them back so as they land in the airport there's a bunch of cops like there waiting for, for them yeah. yeah but it ended up being for the pilot because the pilot was drunk yeah oh, wow. yeah he said they were all really really afraid um when down. the pilot said like watch out because i know you guys are criminals or something yeah. he was like we all minded our p's and q's which was a big deal considering that like just a few paragraphs in that same page uh, before he was talking about how uh, Phil would get like really drunk and he would just like toss his booze on other passengers in the planes and shit that he was like, he yeah. would like pour booze down like people's backs and stuff just like for no reason. <laughs> so they were like, they got out of jail. They didn't want to get arrested. And then they see all these cops right when they get out of the gate and they're scared shitless. Yeah. But uh, yeah, turns out the pilot was drunk. Hit fucking hypocrite. Yeah. <clears throat> So Overkill got to um, yeah. 24 on the charts in England. Right? And it's the first album to do that. Yeah. Motorhead. Motorhead. And then, um, so after they, they toured, got back from Finland, they started working on Bomber. Yeah, and it's really interesting because for when Motorhead first started, they had not stopped. It's touring make a record, touring, make a record. They had no downtime. But I feel like that was pretty typical back yeah, then. Yeah, I, I think so too. But also because I think they were, it was kind of a, they had such a hard start that they, once they felt that little bit of like, um, 
oh, you know, people are starting to like us, mm-hmm. that they they probably feared, and the record labels, like, if you stop, you you know, you'll, you won't be heard ever again. So. Oh, Bronze was putting pressure on them. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, Jimmy Miller was at it again, producing Bomber. But that's yeah, that's so that's when he was really fucking up, and then he ended up um, getting kicked out. I don't know who finished the record, but it was it's kind of crazy because they did two anti-heroin songs for I that record. I feel like Eddie might have actually helped mix that record. Oh, okay. Like that's kind of where he started the producing stuff. I think that might have been that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they, yeah, they did Bomber and Dead Men Tell No Tales, which are both anti-heroin songs, not made for Jimmy, other people, but I hope Jimmy listened to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, hopefully he lived. Yeah. Uh, um, and also I think Lemmy tried to get Eddie to sing some songs and he says that Eddie's, Eddie was a pretty good singer, but he just didn't like to sing. So I I actually don't I haven't written it down what song Eddie sings on. Yeah, um, one track, Step Down. Step Down. Yeah. Okay. I think it's called Step Down. Eddie Clark is featured on vocals, and yeah. Um, you you mentioned how I wanted to uh, add something because you mentioned how Dead Man Tell, Tell No Tales uh, was a anti-heroin song. Mm-hmm. When they went back to the studio and got a new producer, what is it? A new Lemmy started to write kind of more political songs, like um, what is it? Lawman. Yeah. It's about police. I know you. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, marriage and how his father left him in poison. Uh, talking head is about TVs or television. Uh, I guess the news heads and news people mm-hmm. and, uh, and show business and all the aces. There's some interesting stuff. And that's on bomber on a bomber on the bomber. Bomber. Uh, hold on. I got a quote. So in his uh, memoir, uh, let me reveals that Clark had been bitching that I was getting all the limelight, but he wouldn't do anything about it. I got sick of him complaining. So I said, right, you're going to fucking sing on this one. And he hated it, but really, he was a good singer. Yeah, it sounded like uh, I think Lemmy actually probably would have preferred that somebody else sing. Yeah, yeah. he just kind of got stuck with it. So yeah, so they went on tour. They had a cool bomber rig, which was an old World War II bomber. Um, which was, was like, a uh, I, I know that I know the airplane, but continue, I'll find it. But yeah, it was a it was a huge thing that they could only bring around. Um, I'm not, I think England, I'm not even sure Europe or did they they bring it? it, I think they brought it around Europe, but they couldn't couldn't, bring it to the U S because the shows weren't big enough in the U S at that point. Yeah. And it was a, it was a big, like 40 foot by 40 foot set piece. Um, Um, it had four engines and it, oh, here it is. It's a resemblance of the uh, Hinkle HE 111. So if you're an airplane buff, there you go. Yeah. Or look it up. Yeah, or look it up. And it actually moved. Yeah, it would said, light up uh, and move backwards, forward, side to side. Yeah, it was the first and only rig to do that. Yeah. The live show rig. So, um, yeah. Tommy Lee, fucking fuck it. You thought you had the first shit. Fucking duck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Bomber charted eleven and got them two silver discs, which I mean, I guess it means that they sold two hundred and fifty thousand records and those discs were prevent were presented to them live on stage too it was uh, that's cool a, yeah an ordeal right and i think that they got down on one knee with a uh with a queen impersonator oh yeah yeah that- <laughs> and uh and she like knighted them uh, that's funny uh and then presented them with the silver disc so it was kind of cool and i think he said that was the last time that ever happened like it was just sort of like, here, it's your first one. And then after that, like, they weren't treated that way but, anymore. But didn't Ace of Spades get gold? Ace of Spades did really well. I Ace thought, of Spades got number one. Yeah, yeah, no, but I thought they got, like, like gold status on that record. I think probably. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. You get it. You get I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think oh, it was... Oh, it's too expensive. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was a function of the record labels sort of starting to give up on them, even yeah. as they were becoming popular. Yeah. You know? It's like a really weird shift that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they took all their money and put it into more stage production. Uh, toured with Saxon. 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 And then went back into the studio to record Ace of Spades. And again, it's like back to back to back. Yeah. Like I said. When, when was Overkill released? 70... I mean, uh, seven, uh, 78? I think it was 78. Overkill began... I think Bomber no. was 78. Ace of Spades was 79. Bomber and Overkill both came out in 79. Ace of Spades was in 80. This is Mark. Unfortunately, this episode was too long to uh, mix down as one file. So, uh, if you want to continue listening, just go ahead and mosey on over to part three. Have a good one.